it up for Cam. <laughs> Can I tell you a funny story about me and Cam real quick? Like, I, I'm going to tell it anyway, so. <laughs> uh, Kim, my wife, like one of the things uh, I love to do with her is it, it, we have all these new speakers now that connect Bluetooth, right, and everything. I make it my sole mission in life. Anytime I can connect to her speaker or her playlist, I try to sneak in Barry Manilow whenever I can. Like Copacabana, it doesn't matter. Like I, wherever she'll be in her car, all of a sudden, you know, she's like, I write the songs. What? What is this? It's just, I love you, babe. I love you. <laughs> hey, uh, if you got your Bibles, why don't you open it up? We're going to read our text, and then I've got something kind of different to start out with. Uh, our text is found in Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're in a series called Angels, and this is the shepherd's encounter with the angel. Uh, Verse 8, it says this, uh, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, This morning, as I was preparing this week for the message, I felt really clearly uh, from the Holy Spirit to kind of do things a little different, to open things up. And I hope I have a little grace to do that with you. Um, we're going to have some fun today. We're, we're going to talk about the angels and fear and slavery and Charlie Brown and all kinds of stuff. But before we get into it, um, sometimes we close uh, with some, some worship and a time of reflection. And you may be wondering, like, why is Isaac up here now? I actually invited him up here. Um, I wanted to, I felt the direction on the Holy Spirit to just start things off by um, kind of digging up the dirt. Does that make sense? Um, the, the, one of the prophets in the Old Testament says to dig up the fallow ground. And sometimes in this season right now, like we can be so busy with just life and then add Christmas and all this stuff and kids and trips and all this, that it can be easy to come into church and give just like 25, 50%, maybe even 75% and leave some on the table. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit wanted to do something kind of unique to start things off, to kind of dig up the dirt, to prepare the soil for what he wants to do today. And, um, I had Isaac up here because I really do feel that a lot of times, I'll say this a lot, like music is the oil to the soul. And sometimes music can do what words can't and the Holy Spirit can maneuver through that. And then I firmly believe like, you know, as I prayed this morning to just kind of start things off, I'm gonna pray over certain groups. And um, if that's you this morning, if I touch something or, or um get close to something that you relate to, um, I'm going to ask you to just do something to confirm that as part of your prayer to God. Whether that's simply raising your hand, I'm not going to look, okay? I'm going to, whether that's just lifting your head, uh, whether that's just whispering in your own voice, God, that's me. Let let this prayer be for me. Uh, Whenever that connects, I'm going to ask you to do that and just allow the Holy Spirit to kind of do something up front. Is that okay? Okay, let's pray. Father, um, we're here today and our hearts can be easily divided. Um, And you want to do something up here. We don't need even a message, God, for you to do something spectacular. You're here already. You've already been here. You've already been at work since before we opened our eyes, God. And you'll be at work even before we put our heads on our pillows tonight. And so I just want to lift up specific groups to you this morning as we get ready to kind of dive into your scriptures. God, there are those here that are struggling with some sort of just heavy weight. I just feel there's a lot of shame. Maybe it's an addiction. Um, It's something that you keep struggling with. And maybe, maybe it's not something that's consistent, but from every once in a while, this thing pops its head up. And you walk away with such shame 
You walk away with your head down. It's so easy for you to just walk. Maybe sometimes there's times you don't even want to come to church because you just feel like such a failure at times. Father, for those people here this morning, would you lift their head up? Would you lift their head up, God? Would you infuse them, God, with joy today? You said that joy is our strength. We sang about it already this morning, God. It's our strength. Would you give them supernatural strength, supernatural joy this morning? Clear away this addiction, God, these things. It's a baggage. It's a heavy weight, God. Allow them to let go of it this morning. There's some people here. I don't know if it's a business decision or there's a big decision coming up. Um, whether it's, it's financial, it's something within your family, or it's a business that you own or you work within, but this thing has been looming and it's been weighing over you. And Holy Spirit, I just pray for direction right now. Would you just clear that path? Every, every door, God, that seems uh, to be open, would you just close the wrong ones and open the right one? Make the path very clear. Make the decision very easy. Confirm it. Confirm it, Holy Spirit. And give them a peace about it. Give them a peace, knowing knowing that you're at work and you've been at work in this. God, I pray for the individual here that, that things have been going really good. Their spiritual life has been really good, but they've been feeling an ache and a desire for something more. And maybe there's even a frustration when you come to church or you talk with other people and maybe you haven't even vocalized it, but you just feel like you're just on a different place and, and maybe it, it makes you want to not come to church because you feel it's just below your level. That Don't do that, okay? God's just bringing you into a new space. He's bringing you to a new level. God, that desire is godly, okay? Holy Spirit, fill them up stretch them. God, let them come to this place and and let it, I know it's unfamiliar and it can be new, but God, let them see the joy in this next level and the intimacy in that. Give them intimacy, God. Let it be infectious. Let it just spread. For relationships, God, there are those here that have something with relationships and marriage But even more than that, it's a little bit broader than that. Um, God, there's been things that have tried to splinter it. There's been things that have tried to divide it. I come against the enemy right now. And those things that which you have brought together, God, may nothing split them. May nothing divide them. Let lies be apparent, God, and truth be evident. God, we pray for an anointing in those relationships. God, relationships amplify what you're doing, not just in us, but it amplifies with someone else, whether that's a friendship that's being uh, on the rocks or if it's a marriage here that's on its last string. God, breathe life support right now into it in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in this space, in this time. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you, Isaac. Can we give it up for Isaac? Um, You know, in the Old Testament, uh, King Saul says he was uh, possessed with a demon and that he used to call David in to play the harp and that that would, that the instrument that he played would soothe the demons. And Isaac, I don't know if you're, if you're, back in that room, but I just feel like Isaac, <clears throat> he's coming out, yeah. Man, Isaac, I just feel there's going to be a new anointing on, on specifically your playing. There's going to be something that in the notes that you literally play that are going to soothe the demons, going to crack open the things in the spiritual realm that you've never seen before. So get ready. All right, Christmas. You guys ready for Christmas? Can you believe it's Christmas week already? I'm like, man, how did December is just like, whew. <laughs> it's like here and gone before you know it. Um, let, let's play a little game here. As we're talking about Christmas, we're in this series talking about uh, angels. 
Uh, when you think of Christmas, what first comes to mind? Just shout it out. Presents, yes. Snow, I heard. What else? Christmas tree. Christmas carols, I like that. Family, I like this. This is good. Spending lots of money. Yeah, that's true, right? Anyone else? What? Cookies, amen, hallelujah. Anything else? Ice skating, yes. Hey, it is church, right? Jesus. <laughs> have, you, have you heard the story of the Sunday school teacher who was teaching? He was talking about squirrels, and he asked the little kid, um, what's round, small, furry with a long tail and stores nuts in its cheeks? And the kid goes, well, I guess the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> like, like, you're in church. I guess the answer is Jesus, Right? Let's, we think of all these things when it comes to Christmas, but let me ask you something even deeper. Let's hone in a little bit more. What is the meaning of Christmas? Yeah, I know, I know. We're in church. You go, it's, it's Jesus, right? Like it's clear. But what is it about Jesus? What is it about the birth of this baby? How many of you know C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis wrote Chronicles of Narnia, some other great books for uh, theologians that we love and treasure. <clears throat> Before he became a Christ follower, he was actually an atheist. One of his best friends that he used to have long discussions on walks with was a guy by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien. Anyone heard of him? Wrote Lord of the Rings. And Tolkien was a avid, passionate Christ follower. And he used to have discussions with C.S. Lewis and arguments, healthy arguments about this. And, and man, I remember reading about one conversation where C.S. Lewis... Uh, would eventually become and surrender his life to Christ, started off with this question to Tolkien. He said, what does a baby born 2,000 years ago have to do with my life right now? And maybe you've never asked that, or maybe you go, that's a good question. I know the answer is Jesus, and the meaning of Christmas is Jesus, but but what is the meaning of that? What is the power in that? What, how does it relate to my modern life? Charlie Brown Christmas Story. Anyone like Charlie Brown Christmas Story? Yes, I love it. <clears throat> Been playing since 1965 until recently. Uh, it played every year on TV. You could see it, a short little half hour Christmas story around this neurotic, depressed, anxious little boy named Charlie Brown, right? And he starts off in the, in the special by, by asking this question, just like, I don't get it. Like, I know everyone around me is happy about Christmas, but I just don't understand why. I don't get it. And throughout the episode, he kind of explores this a bit. He's kind of looking. And, and, and finally, he, the frustration boils over to the very end when they're doing a Christmas play, right? And he screams out just, what is... Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll just, I'll show you the clip here. Go ahead and play this. turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Boom, mic drop. <laughs> Linus. I love that. Now, it's interesting because 
we're talking about the meaning of this. We're talking about this encounter that Linus actually reads about when he's asked, what is the meaning of Christmas, right? And there is something powerful in this story. There is something rather unique that me and you can benefit from and can relate to in our modern society. What does a baby being born 2,000 years ago have to do with my modern life? It has everything to do about it. And it's found in the core of this story. So let's dive in a bit. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And in the same region there were shepherds, everyone say shepherds, out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now right away this is an interesting story because the angel decides to appear. This great message is given to a group of shepherds, right? Men and women who were just the, pretty much the lowest of the ring, okay? In this society, in the context of the life that they're living, this is kind of your lower blue collar like people. There wasn't all, I know in the scriptures we read about like shepherds and David was a shepherd and Jesus is the ultimate shepherd, but in those days and times, it wasn't looked at this, as this glorious kind of position. It was kind of a lowly thing, which is pretty incredible if you think about it, that, that this message comes to the very lowly and not the king himself. But it says they come at night. So at night, why is this interesting? Well, one, it's dark out, right? Two, the shepherds are probably winding down for the night. They're not actually by their sheep, okay? They're probably got one person who's kind of keeping an eye on them. And then the rest of them are probably sitting around a campfire, telling stories, sharing updates about their family, what's going on at home, how you doing, how's Jim, how's Steve, oh, 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 laughing, having drinks, all the stuff you could see in, in a, a camaraderie, in a, in a shepherd's gathering around the campfire. And it's at night. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, this is interesting. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but one, it doesn't say that they were just filled with fear, but it says what? They were filled with great fear. Uh, they were sore afraid, as the, old, as the King James says, or Linus quotes, this is more than just standard fear. Uh, if you look at the actual original Greek language, it, it almost paints this picture, fear upon fear. This is more than just your surface fear, right? This is more than just a spider crawling out late at night, ah, kind of, okay. And, and this is also interesting because it's at night and it's a great light that shines. I don't know about you, but... Like, I grew up as a kid, if I was in the dark and the light shined, it was kind of comforting, right? It didn't actually cause me to fear. And yet here in this story, something about this light, something about the light that the angel of God, the presence of God is shining, causes them not just fear, but great fear. What is this fear? What is this about? Is, I know this is more than just Freddy Krueger, Jason, clowns, you know, kind of fear. This is, this is a little bit deeper than just surface level fear. It's something deeper. It's actually not the first time we see this in the scripture. In fact, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and rewind all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, to get you caught up with the narrative, God has just finished creating, right? The stars and the sky and the earth and the dirt and man and woman. And then uh, verse 28 of chapter 2 says this, And the man and his wife were both naked, or if you're from the south, naked, right? <laughs> and they were not ashamed. This is interesting, right? Like here at the very beginning of it all, Adam and Eve were created and they were both completely exposed, like no coverings whatsoever. And it says it doesn't even cross their minds, right? There was no shame whatsoever, which gives you the state of mind that they were created in, that the state that they were intended to be in. Something changed, right? We know, because you know the narrative. A consultant comes. <laughs> a guy by the name of 
the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, the serpent, whatever you want to call him. And he makes a proposition. He says, I know you've tied yourself to this creator. I know you are a part of him. You are not your own, but you should be your own. You should take control of your own life. You should, you should be your, you should make decisions for yourself. You should see like God. You could be like God. You could be your own God. And you know the story. They listened. Now, the thing about being your own, right, about having full control of your life is that you have to live up to that life, right? That if you are now a God in control of everything, then you should be able to control everything. And how many of you know that's just impossible? How many of you have kids? You know, that is way impossible. I can't control, I can't control my own kids, let alone everything in my life. And yet something changes with this decision when they choose to become their own, to choose for themselves, to be their own God. And what happens? Verse 7 in chapter 3 says this, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were what? Naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the first thing they do is, is what? They're, they're, they're exposed. They, they all of a sudden feel shame. Like, I shouldn't be this way. I, I, I need to cover up. I can't, I can't live up to the standard, whatever that standard is. I don't know what's going through their minds, right? But they feel the need. I've got to, I've got to cover up. And so they, they sew fig leaves together and they cover, they hide themselves, right? They hide behind this. And there's some comfort in that, isn't there? But it goes a little further. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? The man and the wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to man and he said to them, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was what? I was what? I was fearful. What? Like seeing a clown fearful? No. Something deeper, isn't it? Something much deeper. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. What's happening? What is it about coverings? What is it about this idea of of you know, covering yourself with a blanket. How many, in, in the uh, clip we saw Charlie Brown's Christmas, who's the one that, that came up to, to read the Luke scripture? Linus. And what does Linus have with him? A blanket. More specifically, what kind of blanket? A security blanket, right? A blanket that he uses, that we know as kids, we use for comfort, right? Some of you are like, I could use that right now. It's so chilly. <laughs> what is it about coverings here? that bring us some peace of mind, that bring comfort. You know, part of it is it shields us from, from others, right? We're not as exposed, you know? I, I could be under here itching my butt and you would have no idea, <laughs> right? I'm secure, like I'm, I'm, I'm hidden from that. There, and, and the more coverings you have, the more security you can feel, right? Hello? Let's take it a little bit further. We see this with our clothes, right? We see this with blankets, but we also have other coverings in our life too. Your house. At the end of the day, you're going to go home and you can relax. You can let your hair down. You can be who you want to be, who you are fully because you're in the security of your own home. And you, you understand what I'm saying? You live in a city, Surrounded by others. There's safety in that. There's security in that. There's a covering with that. Now imagine that we strip that away. Imagine we take your city living away and you're living in the boondocks. Free from nature and animals and everyone. Some of you are like, I already do live that way. <laughs> How secure would you feel? A little less secure a little more vulnerable, would you agree with me on that? 
What if we stripped that even further? But what if we took away your home now? How secure do you feel? How safe? You're a little bit more vulnerable, aren't you? Let's say we do something crazy and we strip your clothes. How vulnerable do you feel? Completely exposed, don't you? What if we went deeper? What if we ripped apart and tore away your flesh, your bones, and we got to your soul, you, and it was completely exposed. Everything good that you ever did, everything bad you ever did just out there. How secure would you feel? Not so secure, would you? See, the problem is when you become your own, when you control and you fight with the authority to control your life, to be your own God, then you have to live up to a standard. And when the light pushes up against that, God's perfect light, then you're exposed for that. Does this make sense? Maybe the best way to illustrate it is this. Have you ever had a job that you took that you were way unqualified for? Anyone? Like we've all been in that spot, right? Whether it was in school somehow, a a position you took within your class, whether it was a a full-time job you took. And like day one, you knew, you were like, I am so unqualified for this. How nervous are you? Nervous, right? How anxious are you? How about this? How do you feel when someone who is qualified comes close to you in that situation? How do you feel? Maybe defensive? Really anxious? What is that? What is that? Well, well, psychologists have actually given us a definition of that. It's called imposter syndrome. You can look it up. I encourage you to check it out. Imposter syndrome is this idea all of us have. It's like we're born with it. From the beginning of time, your father, Adam, your mother, Eve, had it, and we live with it now. Ever since that consultation, we walk in this idea that sometimes in places that we go, we feel we are unqualified, that we're an imposter. And there is a fear that you have that I might just get found out. I might just be exposed. Albert Einstein once called himself when talking about his intellect, said that he was fearful that they might find him out for the swindler he was. Albert Einstein! (laughs) Was he a swindler? No. But yet he felt this imposter kind of syndrome. This idea that when I'm held up against the perfect light, against the highest of high standards, I'm nothing but a fraud. And so what do you do? cover ourselves right we put security in that we hide in that but when the light of God pushes up against that like it did with the shepherds it's easy to feel like I am woefully, this is what you read about this all the time too in like the Old Testament when some of the prophets are encounter like the presence of God, the, the, the words, the verbiage they use is just like, oh, woe is me of unclean lips. Like, oh man, like all of a sudden I'm exposed and I can see every fault, every shortcoming, everywhere that I woefully, woefully don't belong. You and I get this. And it causes us to live a life sometimes of timidness. Right? Because when you're your own God, when you're trying to control it all, and you fall short of that, then all you can do is either shrink back and hide into that, or you can do something else. This is what's going on here. This is what the shepherds are encountering. This is what they're pushing up against. All of a sudden, this light exposes something in their life that I woefully fall short. And I will never compare to that. Some of you know the story. Um, About seven or eight years ago, me and my wife had been in ministry 
for 20 plus years. And I don't mean this pridefully, I just mean this to, to give you some context. During that 20 years, we had really just experienced a lot of success in ministry by all standards. Like everything that we did from kids ministry to youth ministries to everything kind of we touched, God just blessed and, and was faithful and good. And, and after 20 years, it was easy for us to go, we got this, like we're good. And God called us to plant a church. And we said, okay, we'll do this. And all the, the, the well-known pastors that we had connections with, that, that consulted with us, that met with us, they all said the same thing. They're like, you've got the goods. Like, you've got everything to do well. You know, go for it. You're at the right season of life. You know, where do you want to plant? Well, we want to plant in the hardest place possible, downtown Denver. Oh, maybe not so. <laughs> we didn't care, though. We felt God was calling us. We said, let's do it. Let's go downtown Denver, right next to Coors Field. And we, we planted, and God was good. We, we, we started out with like 200 people. We met in a bar. <laughs> that was our, our location. We used to joke with everyone that would come to the bar. We'd say, hey, come for the drinks and stay for the stories. <laughs> and we'd love. And we saw God do amazing things. People come in off the streets, you know, drug addicts, and, and lay their lives down. God was doing incredible things, all kinds of stories I can tell you. And then things started going a little south. We had to move from our one bar into a school, and then we got, had to move out of that school into another school, and then after that school, we had to move into another school. Within two years, we had moved into four different buildings, and people, and striving, just all the colorful things that happened with planning a church in, in downtown was just... By the time we shut the doors, I felt like the biggest failure. I felt like bumping up against the light, bumping up in comparison to the successful pastor, I felt woefully short. I, I literally quit. We quit ministry. I took a job designing signs at a sign company downtown. I was like, I don't want anything to do with ministry. I don't want to teach. I don't want to do any of this again. I was fine. Just a nine-to-five job. Like, I, I'm a complete failure. This is my mi mindset. This is how bad it was. Uh, Pastor John felt the Holy Spirit talking and, and met with me and Kim. And he offered us a job. He said, listen, I know you're doing graphic design now, down there. I don't, you don't have to jump into ministry, but, but would you come on and design for us? You know what my first thought was? I can't believe it. I was just thinking about this the other day. My first thought, and I vocalized it. I told John this. I said, John, is this a pity hire? Are you just throwing a bone? Help someone out. Because I don't feel qualified to even do design work at a ministry. You've been there too, maybe. Right? You see your shortcomings, you're exposed kind of for who you are, you think so, and so you walk a little timid in that. Right? Not so eager to charge the, the battlefield so much. We all experience this. We all run into this imposter syndrome and it leaves us feeling a little weak and tired. Here's the good news. It's God addresses this. He speaks into this. This story in Luke actually helps us with it. Luke chapter 2. And they were filled with great fear. Fear upon fear. But this, verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not for behold. Listen to this. The angel, first thing, he recognizes the fear, right? And what does he say? First response. What? What? Fear not. Fear not. And then he says this little conjunction right here. He says, fear not, behold. Now, if I say fear not, behold, what am I doing? I'm pointing to something else, right? If, if uh, an intruder comes into my house and I'm standing behind my family and I go, kids, fear not, behold. 
I'm either, I got a gun or something, a sword, or maybe it's just dad. I'm just, behold, dad. Dad, I'm not so, I'm not so courageous now. Right? The, the, the behold is pointing to what the angels are about to say. He's saying, listen, if you have this fear, this deep fear, right? And this is a deep fear. This is not just your surface level fear. Science will tell us this. Did you know this? That you are born with only two fears. Two fears. One, fear of falling and fear of loud noises. Every other fear that you have or that you experience is a learned fear. It's something that was passed down to you through whether it was your parents, through culture itself, watching the movie It at a young age. (laughs) Probably not so good. Right? So all of these fears can be learned. And, and even the fear of loud noises and fear of falling is kind of tied to this idea of the fear of death. It's the fear of, of your life ending or mutilation or whatever it is. It ties down to that fear of death. But this fear, it's a deeper fear. It's deeper than the surface fear. And the angel says, when you have this, fear not, behold. So when you feel this fear, behold this. What is this? Here's what he says. And the angel said to them, fear not, behold, for I bring you good news of great joy. That word good news, it's where we get the word gospel from, right? The good news of the gospel. It's the picture of of good news in a military battle and, and being sent news of this back to the city. We've got gospel. We've got good news. We won. This is the kind of uh, uh, emphasis that, that is put on this. I've, I've come and that they were filled, I'm sorry, and that they, behold, I bring you good news, right? The gospel of great joy that will be for just Jewish people. No, for all the people. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, that's me. And turn to them and say, not you though. <laughs> just kidding. For all the people. And then here is the behold, okay? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, from your father Adam and Eve, from the the choice to take control to be their own God, we've seen the slow uh, fallout of creation and mankind. We've seen the unraveling, if you will, of mankind. But it all changed for this day. Behold, this day, a savior, a Messiah has come to save you. What does a savior do? He saves you, right? And the reversal begins. That which you've been waiting for That which you compare yourself to, that you look at the light, now can be yours. Because heaven, at the first time in history, is breaking through for you and for me. Behold, this day, a Savior is born to you. And you, on the caveat of this, when you surrender your life, when you surrender the control, then you tie yourself to this perfect savior and everything he does and all the good that he experiences and and can do in the future and now is now tied to you. And you don't have to fear because it's not you. See, Paul uses this language, all, you, you can read it all through the scriptures, but he constantly is using this, this verbiage of, I'm a prisoner for Christ, right? I am a slave of Jesus, right? You are bought with a price, you know? All of this verbiage of like slavery and, and, and imprisonment, and, and I don't know about this, but you hear that and you're like, I'm uncomfortable with that, right? You're like, I don't, I don't want to be a slave to anything, And rightfully so, because in our context, in our understanding, when you are a slave, when you are a prisoner of someone, you are completely vulnerable to that person, aren't you? And that person, out of that vulnerability, can do what? They can take advantage of you. 
And in our human form, in our fallen state, that usually happens, doesn't it? And so when we think of slavery and being a prisoner, we think of this, well, you can be taken advantage of, though. You're completely vulnerable. But what if, what if that person you were a slave to, that person you were a prisoner to, was 100% without a doubt good? What if in your vulnerability and your openness, he didn't take advantage of you? What if he loved you? What if he grabbed you and pulled you in? What if you didn't have to fear now of making decisions and worried about, oh, I've got to control this and I've got to make this because I've got to live up to this instead of going, it's not my choice. I'm a slave to Christ now. I put it into him. I give it to him. I don't have to fear now. The fear is gone because a savior has come and I've given control to him. I've laid it down. So cool, man. This is so exciting when you grab this. This is broken through for the first time. When he says this day, he doesn't mean this day. He means this day, that day for us this day. Right? That day, that special day when that baby was born, heaven broke through and perfection came. And your Messiah, your Savior came to take it. Uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson, anyone ever heard of him? Jordan Peterson's written some incredible books, highly intellectual, well-known psychologist, uh, very smart. Uh, To my knowledge, I don't think he's a Christ follower, but you know, he sure alludes to it some in some instances. Uh, I watched this last weekend, or this last week, a video of him talking about this experience. And he says this, he says, I had a dream. He goes, and in this dream, he goes, I was in a graveyard, and I could see all the graves were famous leaders, famous kings, uh, authority figures, rulers. And he said, and every one of them started to rise up out of the grave. And as they rose up out of the graves, you could see everything that they did good that they were adorned with. Okay? All the, all the uh, authority in a, in a good way, all the, the character strengths they had or the, the incredible ways that they could lead was, was shown, like visibly, you could see it. And he said, and then all of a sudden I saw what I later figured out was to be Jesus Christ. And this is what he said. Listen, this is an unbeliever. He says, all of a sudden all the kings turned and faced him and bowed the knee. And he said, I couldn't figure out what this meant until it dawned on me later. He said this, every every good thing that every ruler, that good authority had was still woefully short of the greatest leader, of the greatest king. And because of that, they all had to bend the knee because in comparison to them, they were short. That's the Messiah that you surrender to. That's the good news. That it makes you celebrate and go for this day. Behold, a Savior has been born to rescue you and me. And I don't have to walk in fear. I don't have to walk in that cowardness anymore. I can be bold in my faith. Because where I fall short, he gives me strength. Does this make sense? Oh, man, if you grab a hold of this, man, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. But there's a surrender. There's a bowing of the knee that has to happen. For behold, a Savior is born this day, a Messiah for you. You can experience this. Paul writes this incredible letter to a guy named Timothy. In 2 Timothy in your New Testament, <clears throat> he's writing this letter, and you can tell right away in this letter, he's trying to encourage this young man. 
And I don't know, we don't know the full story of Timothy. We have a pretty good idea what he was, uh, how he lived. But we do know this. We do know that he had some, uh, let's just say, giants, you know, that walked before him. He had a family heritage that was top notch. And I don't know if that maybe caused, uh, gave him a higher standard to live up to that he felt. Maybe that imposter syndrome that he bumped up against. But Paul writes this letter and he starts addressing this. And I want you to see kind of the, the little, little nuggets he drops in here for me and you, how it relates to this story in Luke. Here's, here's what he says. He's talking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Oh, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Listen to this. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt, dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Listen to this. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, not of fear. but of power and love and self-control. That, that word power, um, it, it's, it's, a, a, it's a picture of a kid running into battle. Like just bold. Like he didn't give you a spirit of fear because of this. Why? And he goes on. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his what? There he is again. He's named, he's, I'm a prisoner of Christ. But share in suffering for the gospel of the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, right? Because we fall short, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death, physical death, and the death of our spirit, right? That fear of death, uh, of association there. That fear and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Do you see how Paul, he's just, it's like spits out of him. It's just like, when I'm a prisoner of Christ, I don't have to live or be guided by fear. I can walk in boldness because God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. This is why in the song, Amazing Grace, you remember that song? It says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fear relieved." makes sense when you see it this way when you understand that you can be bold when you surrender and give control to God when you resist the temptation listen the other alternative is you can continue to wrestle you can continue to grab control of your life and say I am my own and I can control the outcome, whatever it is. I can be, you can be an intellectual here and say, like, I don't have to do this at all. And you could still wrestle all the days of your life. Or you can bend the knee and say, Christ, I want to be a slave to you. And there's a peace in that. <laughs> this morning, I, I went to eat. I made my breakfast I usually make. I went down, I literally sat, was about to take a bite and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, hey, would you fast this meal for me? And I was like, ugh, <laughs> really? And, and I'm a thinker, okay? So my first thought is just like, well, why? Is this for the message? Is this like, will you not show up if I don't? Like all these thoughts are running through my head. And then I remembered, behold, behold, fear not, for behold, a savior. I don't have to have control of this. I can not understand fully and be okay with that because I'm a slave to him. And whatever he does for whatever reason, I'm okay with. Because it's not by might, not by power. 
And it's not by my fear, but it's by the love and the power and self-control that God gives me. Does this make sense? I don't have to cover myself. I don't have to try and, you know, hide and, and shield myself trying to pretend to be that person. I want to close with this. You guys all saw the Charlie Brown clip, right? Charlie Brown asks, what's the meaning of Christmas? And who comes up? Linus, right? And he's holding what? His blanket, his security blanket. And I noticed this. I never caught this before. And I don't know if they intended to do this or not. I hope so. It'd be pretty cool. Linus gets up on stage, right? The lights go out and he begins to read and quote the story that I, we have all just gotten familiar with. Shepherds were in the fields and the light shined on them and they were sore afraid. And then on the part where he says, but the angel showed up and said, do not fear for behold, at that moment, I don't know if you caught this, he drops his blanket. He drops it. Fear not, for behold, a Savior has come. The Savior's here for you. No matter what baggage you have, no matter what journey you've been on, the ups and the downs and where you fall short, you don't have to be ashamed and cover yourself up. You don't need that security because your security's found in the Savior, the Messiah. And He loves you. And you can choose to lay it down for Him. That, my friends, is good news. That, my friends, is the best news. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that we don't have to fight and toil and work so hard to, to amount and to be perfect because we'll never get there. And that you made a way for us to not walk in fear. I can be bold. I don't have to be timid because my life is found in you. And today, God, we surrender to you. We give it up. We bend the knee, God. Whatever that looks like to you. I don't know if you're in this room and you feel like you're a thousand miles from God. It doesn't take but just a small moment to say, Father, I surrender. Maybe you've been a Christ follower your whole life and you've struggled with this and you say, Jake, I'm living in that tension right now. I want to control it all. Today, let it go. Be like Linus. Be like the shepherds. Be like so many of us who have said, I embrace not being my own, but being his. For I was bought at a price, a beautiful price. It's that easy, church. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen.